Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. Take your seats. Hallelujah. want to look at one of my favourite parts of the Bible. And it's one of my favourite parts of the Bible because it was the first weird part of Scripture I ever got excited about as a kid. Anyone that's heard me preach for a while knows I love David and Goliath and I love Moses parting ocean and stuff. But I love the parts of the Bible that other people don't want to preach, the parts of the Bible that other people get a little bit uncomfortable by. I love those parts of the Bible. I would have been six or seven years old. I was in a service not too dissimilar from this. I was not in kids' church. I'm not sure because it was maybe a Sunday night and kids' church wasn't running or I was naughty. I, uh, I was every kids' church worker's nightmare. Um, I apologise to any kids' workers that might be listening to this on a podcast that have ever had to look after me and have less hair as a result of it. I apologise. I understand. I have been repented. Actually, side note, I went back to one of the schools that I went to as a kid to preach the gospel and teachers that I hadn't seen for 20 years still remembered me for all the wrong reasons. And so I apologised to them. And you know it's bad when they said, it's okay, we forgave you a long time ago. And I thought, all right. So maybe that's why I was in the service. Either way, I was under the chair, I would have been colouring or building Lego and I heard this part of the Scripture read. And it fascinated me. It was exciting. It was a little bit spooky. It was a little bit different. And it it just did something in me. I don't remember what the sermon was about. I don't remember what the points were. I was too young to respond to the altar call. But the Scripture itself did something for me. If you've got a Bible and you're curious, the book of Ezekiel chapter 37, the book of Ezekiel chapter 37, it is a fascinating part of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, not only will we put it on the side screens, I bought my Bible, I'll read it to you, but you could Google it too. If you Googled Ezekiel, E-Z-E-K-I-E-L 37, it'll come up. Ezekiel was a great man of God, was a great prophet, wrote a fantastic book of the Bible. He was part of the inspiration for why we named our eldest son Ezekiel, who's seven over in Kids Church. Praise God, he's better behaved than his old man. Hallelujah for that. Um, Ezekiel 37. We're going to start with verse 1. When you've got it, say, got it. If you need a minute, say, I need a minute. I will wait for you and then I will read. Ezekiel 37. Nudge the person next to you. Make sure they're awake. They're tuning in. All righty. It says, the Lord took hold of me. So this is Ezekiel narrating it. The Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Pause. I don't know if you've caught on to what's happening right now in this passage of Scripture. Because this is not just a historical incident, it's a metaphorical incident. So the Bible is not just recording this as a piece of history, although it is a piece of history. And yes, the Bible is recording it. But God is not just doing that so that you win the next game of Trivial Pursuit because you know a few more facts. It's not a Wikipedia entry about some other person who lived at some other time. It's a metaphor for us and our lives. It's not just a Wikipedia entry about somebody else. It's your Wikipedia entry. If you looked up your life, that's what you would see. Because dry bones, yes, skeletons, all that kind of stuff, which was what I was fascinated by as a kid. But it's more than just that. It represents dreams or goals or relationships or ideas or things that have died. So maybe right now you're here and your business was going great prior to COVID, but you've now hit COVID, you've hit a wall and you're like, the whole thing's fallen over. Maybe there's challenges in your marriage right now and that's been a whole thing. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe there's a health thing, but there might be a part of your life that when you look at it, it feels like a valley of dry bones. It feels like there's a part where there is no hope. And as Ezekiel was walked around the valley of dry bones, a, a place where unless uh, like a miracle beyond all miracles happened, there could not have been a change. God is walking us this morning through that part of our life might be a part of the life that you're embarrassed by, might be something that happened in your past, might be a part of life that you don't even like to think about and it's confronting to walk through that place. But as God is walking Ezekiel through, He is also walking you through this valley, this confronting place, your defeat, my regret, your challenging situation. If you're taking notes, the first thing that you need to know, number one, everyone say number one, God doesn't walk away. He just waits. 
God doesn't walk away. He just waits. In my experience, God doesn't walk away from something, especially if he desires a victory in that area. He just waits. He just waits. You know, what he tends to do is wait for the dust to settle, for things to ease off, and for a new voice or a new generation or a new attitude, come on, who knows what I'm saying, to rise up in that moment and say something different. Let me, let me prove my point. Someone's going to say, is this heretical? It's not. Let me, let me explain. There are three qualities that make God God. These are the three qualities that you don't have and I don't have. These are the three qualities that the devil doesn't have. These are the three qualities that you can shout out loudly in a service that you won't have. These are the three qualities that make God God and make us us because we do not have those three things. The first quality, right, is that God is all powerful. If you like big fancy words, you could use the word omnipotent, right? That means that he can do absolutely anything, which is why last week for those that were here, when I preached about the devil, they were like, why did you downplay Satan so much? Very simple. Yes, he has power, but he can't lick a candle on the power of God. You could combine all the armies of hell and they could assault God with their absolute best and they wouldn't deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as the power of God. This is a God that can do absolutely anything he wants to do. If he desires it, boom, it can happen. God is all-powerful. That's one of the qualities of God. One of the other qualities of God, though, because I did, as I said, there wasn't just one, there was three, is that God knows everything. He's all-knowing. If you like big words and you want the second big word, you could write down omniscient. It means he knows everything, which is one of the most crazy, mind-bending parts of God, if you think about it. See, think about this for a moment, right? When two people fall in love, you know you put on your best behaviour at the start. Who knows what I'm saying? Guys, you learn to shower for the first time since you were a kid. You buy cologne that costs more than $3.45 from Woolies. You know what I'm saying, right? You don't know what you're buying, but you're buying something in the hope that you are putting on your best form. Ladies, you know, you're doing your hair, you're looking nice. You want to present your best self so that when they see you, when they hear you, when they get to know you, they will love you, right? And the problem is, of course, none of us are perfect. And so as you go through the relationship, you're trying to like slowly show them that you're not perfect, but not in such a way as to scare them off, right? Because you think if they were to see all of my ugly parts, if they were to see all of the parts of my life I'm not uh, so proud of, maybe they would be scared away. And you might get to the point where you get engaged or get married. But even then, you're still kind of having to be careful because you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to do something so bad that the love wanes or it breaks down or you end up in a divorce situation. And so you are still putting on your best behaviour. But the crazy thing about God is because He knows everything, even though you're here today, wearing your Sunday best, acting like you're all good in the hood, God has seen you, yes, at your best today, but He's already seen you at your worst. You don't have to put up a front for God. Your absolute best, sure it impresses Him, but He's seen you at your worst and He chooses to love you anyway. That is astronomical, but it gets crazier. See, like I said, when you're in a relationship, you're putting your best foot forward constantly because the last thing you want to do is to act in a way that kind of dials down love. But God not only knows what you have done, He actually knows what you're going to do. So every mistake that you're ever gonna make in future, every issue that's ever gonna come to pass, you gotta understand something. It still won't scare God away because He knows what you're gonna do and He loves you anyway wild. He knows everything. He's omniscient. But I said there was three qualities. That's two. There's a third. God is everywhere. Again, if you like things to be in threes, if you like another big word, He's omnipresent. God is everywhere. Now, I don't mean that in a new agey way. Like He's not the rocks and the trees and the rivers, if you go to those places and you pray to rocks and trees and rivers, the best you can hope for is confusion. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I mean, though, that God is in those places. He is at the beach. He's on the mountaintop. He's in your home. But that also means he sees everything. So he's, he was there in your worst moments, in those tough days. He is with your children right now that you're worried about and your grandchildren right now that you're not sure about. He is right there in those moments, which is incredible. That's the reason that He never leaves. He just waits. We walk away from God. He never walks away from us. He's omnipresent. 
which dispels a myth that I've heard a lot of Christians say. Oh, well, Phil, you don't realise those two people, they're not doing the right thing. God's walked away from their marriage. He can't walk away. He's omnipresent. Oh yeah, but Phil, you don't understand what's happening in that church, making a whole lot of mistakes. God stepped away from that church. He can't, He's omnipresent. It goes against the nature of God. Oh, well, you don't know what my kids are up to. Oh yeah, they've stepped back from God. Yes, they have, but He hasn't stepped back from them. He's in the club, He's in the pub, He's in that relationship. You can never escape God. We see that in Scripture. You see that in the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus is kind of the coming of age. It's the teenage book of the nation of Israel. God, it brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Hallelujah, streamer emojis, start of the book of Exodus. Then they go into the desert. They're only supposed to be there for a short time as they cross through to the promised land. And they begin to make one mistake after another. They are a shocking series of mistakes. Not that I am judging them because you and I, if we're gonna be real, have also made shocking series of mistakes over the years. The nation of Israel is not just their story, it's our story. So they make all these mistakes. Does it make God upset? Yes. Does it break God's heart at times? Does He even get angry at points? Sure, but He never walks away. Not once, go and study that because God doesn't walk away. He just waits. He just waits, which should change our prayer life and change our thinking. Because I don't know about you, but there have been times where I felt like God did walk away. Where are you, Lord? Why am I going through this on your own? How come? How come I feel so alone? We feel like God has actually walked away from us, but He hasn't walked away. He's just waiting. There was a valley of dry bones. He took Ezekiel there. He was already there. He was there the whole time through all the bones, through all the valley. He knew all the backstory. He was just waiting. So the question is, why does God wait? Why doesn't He act? If He can do whatever He wants to do, why isn't He acting right now? Why isn't He moving in your life the way you want Him to move? Why hasn't He shifted things in your business, in your family, in your marriage, in your finance? How come He is waiting? That's the question I wondered. Someone will probably email me and say, it's Satan. Well, that sounds good and it'll preach good and I'll get you all riled up if I say that. But the reality is it doesn't actually make much sense. I mean, God is so much more powerful than Satan. He could try anything and everything. God could just click his fingers and resolve it, right? He's all powerful, right? So he's not waiting for Satan. Or someone might say, well, he's waiting for himself. Well, that's cool if God's schizophrenic, but he's not. He doesn't need to wait for himself. He doesn't need to process what's happening. He processed it before time began. He doesn't need to think up a plan. He knows everything. He's already got the plan. He's got the plan before you knew you needed a plan. Oh, well, maybe he's waiting because he's just, you know, he's just, he needs a rest. Well, that's what's incredible about God. He's all powerful. He doesn't need to kick up his feet on a banana lounge and sip a non-alcoholic pina colada. In fact, while you're doing that, he's actually working somewhere in some place in your life that you can't even see. So he's not waiting for himself. That would be schizophrenic. He's not waiting for the devil. So who's he waiting for? Well, the answer's in the next verse. Verse three. Then he, being God, asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? Question mark. Pause. Number two, if you're taking notes, everyone say number two. It isn't just about what he sees. It's about what you see. It isn't just about what he sees. It's about what you see. So I talked about the nature of God. The other thing, because God likes threes clearly, about God is God is triune. He's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Well, we talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. Anyone that's been at Shiloh knows about that. We talk about Jesus. People even wear little crosses around their neck, even when they're not sure who Jesus is. They know a little bit about Jesus. Okay. But there's God the Father. There's a parental side to God. And the Bible talks about God wants us to be well-formed and mature. So what does that mean? Well, I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. My wife, Krista, she did a great job. Didn't Krista do a great job? Um, we have a five and a seven-year-old. And uh, they need to be told what to do, right? They ask, what's for dinner? I don't say, go and look in the cupboard and figure it out. Because they, they, you know, they don't know how to make a chicken risotto. 
You know what I mean? It's just, it's just bags to them. They don't understand. So I just tell them, oh, well, you know, we're going to chicken risotto. Well, they say, what am I going to wear today? I don't say, well, look in the cupboard and pick out an outfit for yourself because it would be, it would be, they would do it, but it would be crazy, right? You know, it'd be like Ninja Turtle pyjama pants with a raincoat, right? Like, you know, that's the kind of stuff my kids would walk out with, right? So I don't say to them, well, you know, look, what do you see? You, you pick. That would be, that wouldn't make sense. When we moved here and they said, what school are we going to go to? I didn't hand them the keys to the car and say, well, drive around, tell me what you see and, you know, we'll go from there. They'd have crashed the car and not found the school. You know what I mean? So I said to them, this is the school you're going to go to. I will take you there. I will show you. And that's cool when you're five. It's fine when you're seven. It's a problem when you're 25, right? It's an issue when you're 27. I remember a couple years ago now, just before we had kids, had a boys fall drive trip. Blokes getting away for a couple days. It's going to be a good fun time. I had blokes ready to go in my car. Guys said to me, shall we put in some fuel money, seeing as it's your car? I said, how about this? Don't worry about fuel money. I'll cover that. But there's a few bits of gear that I need for my four-wheel drive collection. Why don't I just text out a list and you just, just bring a bit of gear and that can be a contribution. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. So this guy's bringing a spanner set. This person's bringing a tire change kit. There was one guy in the, in the group and he, he hadn't picked. So I said to him, I said, what do you want to get? I said, there's two things left. They're both shovels. They're pretty much both the same. I only need one. They're both about $25. You know, you can get them from Bunnings or wherever. I don't care. Whichever one you pick, I'm happy with. And he said, well, what I'll have to do. Now, this is a grown man. It's a man old enough to drive a car. It's a man old enough to drink a beer. He says to me, I have to go home and have a meeting with mum and I'll ask her which one I should buy and she will tell me and that's what I'll do. So I laughed thinking he's cracking a joke, right? And he goes, no, I'm serious. He goes, I don't make any decision, no matter how small, without my mum telling me what to do. Now, you guys might think differently from me because you're way more gracious and godly than I am. But my first thought was, that's not good parenting. The guy's a grown man. Now, if it was a $25,000 decision, sure, seek godly counsel, that's smart. But if you're a grown man and you can't make a $25 decision about a shovel two shovels, pick a shovel. We got problems. You know what I mean? You're not winning the world's best parent cup. Do you know what I'm trying to say, right? You know, that's not maturity. God wants you to be mature. So sure, when you're a baby Christian, when you've been saved five minutes, should I do this, Phil? Yes or no? I'll answer the question. But when you've been a believer for 25 years, when you've been walking with Jesus a little bit longer, he will ask you the question, what do you see? He knows what he sees. He knows where to go. He knows what you need in that situation. But it's not about what he sees. It's more about what you see. Come on, who knows what I mean, right? There's a, I talked about the nation of Israel. You read the first five books of the Bible. I preached about this uh, a little while ago. You catch up on our podcast or our YouTube, so I won't go into too much detail. But there's this part where they're in the deserts right at the start. And he says, I'm going to take you to this promised land. Why don't we send out 12 like our SAS guys, 12 guys like spies, like Navy SEALs, will send them in, scout the land, bring back the report. So they go out, they come back, everybody's excited. I mean, this was an event that people were excited to get to. They signed in with their QR code. They all sat there and um, they were keen to hear the report. 10 people said, oh man, it's crazy out there. I don't know if we want to go. There are giants in the land. That's what I'm seeing. I saw giants. It was crazy. There were giants there. They were big fortified cities. Like hard to scale those walls. Man, they were crazy. These guys were so big and so strong. Compared to them, we were like grasshoppers. That's literally what they said. We're like grasshoppers. We're like, we're nothing. I don't know about that. Then two of the guys at the end, Joshua and Caleb, the only two people to make it into the promised land, spoiler alert, said, yeah, all that's true, but that's actually not really what we saw. See, we saw cities that you would have spent 30 or 40 years building, assuming you had the resource. They're already ready-made. We saw vineyards. In fact, get a load of the size of these grapes. We brought some back. Get a load of some of this fruit. We brought some back. It is absolutely incredible. And sure, it's not uninhabited, but we saw an opportunity for God to work a miracle. And if He could break us out of Egypt and get us up to this point in the desert, surely He can help us in the promised land. But it says that the people who listened to this account agreed with the first 10. It's not about what God sees. It's about what you see. 
And because God thought, well, I don't want to make these poor guys and girls miserable and take them on a journey they don't want to go, how about we just wander around like you're lost in a shopping centre car park in this desert till they all die out and then they won't complain and we'll send the next generation that wants to go. What do you see when you look at that valley of dry bones? When you look at your marriage? When you look at your business? When you look at the church? When you look at your grandkids? When you look at your kids that are away from God? It's not just about what God sees. God can do anything. It's about what do you see. He is trying to develop well-formed maturity in you. If you want to know why he's waiting, he's waiting for you to see what he sees. When you get sick, what do you see? He sees an opportunity for a miracle and a testimony that will shift not only your life, boost the faith in your life, but everybody else's. He sees it because he knows that you work with a whole bunch of colleagues where it would take a miracle for them to ever listen to you talking about Jesus. So he sees a miracle. What do you see? You look at your business smashed by COVID and you say, well, this is a valley of dry bones. What do you see? He sees the fact that he's a restoring God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who can provide every single one of your needs and he loves a comeback story. That's what he sees. But what do you see when you look at that? You see kids that are so far away from God, it's depressing. He sees a testimony that's going to make people weep. That's what he sees. What do you see? It's not just about what he sees. It's about what you see. What do you see as you're walking around the valley? Do you just see bones or do you see an army? And if you don't see what he sees, make an adjustment. That's why reading our Bible every day is so important. It's not about historical fact. It's about learning to see what he sees. When Krista does cooking with our kids, she's teaching them to see the ingredients in the cupboard and realize you can make something of it. It's not just a bunch of plastic bags. God is teaching you through this season to see what he sees. That's why scripture is so important. So if you're not lined up with what God sees, shift your gaze. Keep going. It says... Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. So he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm gonna put breath into you and I will make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you to cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Pause. Number three, everyone say number three. Sticking close to God will keep you safe, but often uncomfortable. Sticking close to God will keep you safe, but often uncomfortable. Hello, have I got any friends left in the building? Now, it sounds kind of obvious, but you've got to think about it from Ezekiel's perspective, right? Because he is the guy that's narrating this story. Ezekiel is sticking close to God. We get all that, not just in a theoretical sense. He's, he's right next to God. He's following God, right? He's doing the things that you would want a good little godly person to do. But where is Ezekiel? Well, he's in a valley of dry bones. Now, in Jewish culture at that point in time and in the world we live in now, in certain Jewish circles, this was considered an unclean place. It's a place you shouldn't go. If you went there and you came back, people would go, you're unclean. I need to be distanced from you. You're somebody that I don't want to associate with till you become clean. You've got to go through a whole bunch of rituals. You've got to, it's an uncomfortable place. You know, now when people go on those little tourist drags for the outback, they wander through these outback cemeteries. This was not a hobby for Jewish kids. You know what I mean? They went running around cemeteries. To be in a valley of dry bones was an uncomfortable place. And yet, that's where God led him. You know, sometimes it can be a bit disconcerting, but allow me to be the bearer of the news that God will not always lead you to comfortable places. Sometimes he will lead you to uncomfortable places because how many know that safety and comfort are not always the same thing? We've all met someone before that's been in a relationship that they have been comfortable with, but it was not a good relationship. Give us a wave if you've ever had a friend or family member go through that, right? Oh, it's comfortable, but it's not safe. We've all made decisions financially over the years that were comfortable, increased our comfort, but they weren't safe for our bottom line. Who knows what I'm saying, right? Safety and comfort are not always the same thing. You will always be safe when you stick close to God, but sometimes He will take you to a place that is uncomfortable because that's how God works. If you're with me, say amen. So that's why we got to make sure that we're actually sticking close to God. 
See, if you miss the sticking close to God bit and you just go to the second half of what I said, you'll go to lots of stupid places that are uncomfortable because you want to go there or because you got a whiff of something from some YouTube video, but it actually isn't a God thing. I remember talking to a guy. I knew a little while. I said, what's happening? He said, have you heard the news? I said, what news? He said, I'm moving to America. I said, wow, that's crazy. Right in the middle of COVID. I'm moving to America. I said, yeah, you just said that's crazy. Wow. Why are you moving to America? He goes, I'm going to Bible college. I said, wow, you know, there's Bible colleges in Australia. He said, I know that. I'm moving to America to go to a Bible college in America. I said, wow. I said, you're going on your own because he's married with kids, right? He goes, no, 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 I'm bringing my wife. I said, that's cool. What about your kids? He said, I'm bringing some of them. And I said, okay. He said, well, a couple of the older ones, they're in VCE. So I thought it'd be better that they stay there while we still go over there. And I'm like, okay. I said, to go to a Bible college. He said, yes, to go to this Bible college. I said, okay. He said, what do you think? I don't know why people ask me these questions, honestly. I said, can I ask some questions? He said, sure. I said, have you prayed about it? Because it's a pretty wild thing that you are attempting to do. You want to stick close to God, right? He goes, I'm all about sticking close to God. Then he gave me like a five-minute rant about how close he is to God. I said, cool, so you've prayed about it. Yes, I've prayed about it. What did God say? He goes, I don't know. (laughs) Have you... Have you spoken to, you know, because he's not part of this church, so just chill. You know, we're way smarter than that. But um, he's part of some other church, not as smart as Shiloh. And uh, I said to him, have you spoken to your church leaders? Because like dual jokes aside, these are some great people I know. He said, no, no, yeah, no, not really. I said, okay. Have you got any wise counsel from anybody about it? He said, yeah, I chatted to a mate. I said, okay. I said, is he a Christian? He said, no. I said, right. What did he tell you to do? He said, follow my dreams. I said, cool. I said, so you're going to move your family, split it up from one side of the planet to the other in the middle of COVID, and you're not sure if you're actually sticking close to God. He said, that's right. I said, do you think maybe you should wait? He said, nah, got to strike while the iron's hot. I said, uh, I said, well, I said, you wanted to know what I think. He goes, yes. I said, let me tell you, one way or another, you're about to learn some lessons. He said, really? I said, you're going to get closer to God through this season. He said, that's what I was hoping. I said, it's going to happen. Um, He said, I just want God to speak to me. I said, oh, he will. Uh, He goes, I want God to speak to my family. I said, he's definitely going to speak to your wife. He said, how do you know that? I said, I just know things. I said, you're going to hear from God in this season. We got to learn to stick close to God. You say, well, I don't know where God is. You said that He was everywhere. How am I supposed to find God? Okay, (laughs) that's true. You want to find the manifested presence of God. You want to find the Word of the Lord. And while God is not a vending machine, so He's not a Google map, I can't exactly. I'll tell you a few places that you will find Him. You'll find Him in church. You will find Him if you're a kid in kids' church or if you're a teenager in youth. You'll find Him in a connect group. You'll find Him when you read your Bible. See, what happens is often when we go through things, we distance ourselves from church or we distance ourselves from reading our Bible or we don't take our kids to youth, not realising just because you didn't find Him this week doesn't mean you aren't going to have an encounter next week or the week after or the week after that. I go on holidays and I don't always feel relaxed on the first day. Who knows what I'm saying? Sometimes it takes a couple days for it to kick in. It doesn't mean the holiday isn't working. It just means it takes time. So when you're going through something, press into God, press into church, take your kids, whether they want to go or not. Hello, I do that. You know, what does my son want? He's five. I'm taking him to church. I know what he wants, right? When he's 25, it's a different conversation, right? Press into God, stick close to God, but don't be surprised that although he keeps you safe, he takes you some uncomfortable places. If you know what I mean, say amen. All right, verse seven. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin covered their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. So now they're just dead bodies, right? Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies and they all came to life and stood on their feet, a great army. Pause. 
Number four, everyone say number four. Follow God to the point you'll do the crazy things He asks. Follow God to the point you'll do the crazy things He asks. So God tells him to speak to the dry bones. If I were to pray the way Ezekiel prayed, people would write emails. Come four winds and all this stuff. It's very weird stuff. Granted, it's very, very unusual. Even by Bible standards, what he says is weird, right? But look at the result. The army's formed. So often when we are walking through our valleys of dry bones, our relationship challenges, our financial issues, our business problems, we are looking for a normal natural solution. But I got to break it to you. If there was a normal, natural, rational, easy to understand solution, you already would have done it by now. The reality is that's actually what's not ahead of you. So maybe the solution to your problem is a little bit strange. Maybe the solution to your problem is a little bit weird. Maybe the solution to your problem is a little bit challenging, but you've got to be willing to step out and do the crazy things that God is asking you to do. You know, people talk about our society and our future and all that. I don't know what the future holds, but here's what I do know. There are gonna be times as believers that God is gonna ask us to do challenging things, crazy things, weird things, and we gotta be prepared to do that. And if you don't understand why, go back to my last point. The safest place you can be is sticking close to God, right? That's what we got to understand. It's funny that (laughs) the time we're the most receptible to this crazy idea is usually when our back's against the wall because we've tried everything else. We've done everything else and now we're stuck. I remember it was about three months before we got married. And uh, I came into work one day to find out I was retrenched. It was in the lead up to the GFC and I'd fallen victim to massive job, corporate job cuts. <clears throat> Two weeks prior to this, I'd gotten a pretty nice bonus from work. Quite a lot of money. And I'd spent it all because we had wedding expenses and other bits and pieces. Not being financially irresponsible, I had no inclination that this job thing was coming. But it was the start of the new fin year and I understand shareholders, all that, I get it. I'm not bitter about it, but it was what it was. So when I went to Centrelink and I said, hey, I need some, need some money. They said to me, well, you've, just two weeks ago, you actually quite got a lot of money. So we're not going to pay you a lot of money. We're not going to pay you any money for a while. I said, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to eat? They said, oh, well, you're going to get some food parcels. There's some great charities in the area. There's some really good churches. You should check one of them out. I said, okay. Um, so I came back. I had a couple hundred bucks in my bank account three months before I was supposed to get married. Not all of our wedding expenses were covered yet because, again, I thought I had some time and I had to decide what to do. Everybody around me said, cancel the wedding, just get married next year, just push it back. People said, well, you shouldn't, shouldn't be preaching or doing any of that stuff because I was a younger pastor, you know, because like, you just need to look after you right now. Just need to, just need to step back, be sensible, be smart, right? And so I prayed as a Christian should. I actually fasted. I spent time in prayer. Took a few hours. God actually did nothing at first. Again, he was waiting. He was waiting. He was waiting. And it was late at night now. And I felt like the Lord said, what do you want me to do for you? And I said, well, I want you to provide. And uh, he said, how? How? I said, I want you to do a miracle right now in my finance and in my life that not only inspires me, but inspires other people. He said, is that what you want? I said, that's what I want. He said, do you think I can do that? I said, of course, Lord, you can do that. He said, do you believe I will do that? What do I see is what he's really saying. God knows what he sees. What do you see? I said, yes, I believe that you can do that. He said, okay. Then he said then you need to change the way you're speaking. See, it wasn't just that Ezekiel believed, it's that he spoke. And he spoke before he saw it happen. We're like, I believe God. I'm going to tell you when it happens, I'll be there celebrating. He's like, no, you need to celebrate now. You need to declare it now. You need to have faith now. Your speech dictates your future. He said, don't say things like, if I get married on October 18, you're going to get married on October 18. Don't say things like, if the Lord provides, you need to declare that the Lord has provided to change your speech. He goes, you need to preach faith for the next couple of months, right? Don't allow doubt to enter your head and don't allow doubt to come out of your tongue. 
So I began to change my speech. Truthfully, I didn't feel it at first, but as I kept saying it, as I kept saying it, as I kept saying it, something began to well up in my spirit. Notice that with Ezekiel, it wasn't just the first thing he spoke. He kept speaking, he kept speaking, he kept speaking, and then God moved, right? You have to be willing to follow the Lord, even though he'll ask you to do crazy things. I started writing out all the wedding invitations, some of which I forgot to deliver which is another embarrassing story for another embarrassing time, but that will kill the vibe of this story. So let's just park that bit. But I was handing some of them out, giving people wedding invitations for a wedding I couldn't afford, where there was no possibility that it was going to happen. I began to thank people and write them little thank you cards for the engagement presents that I had received and uh, said we couldn't wait to see them at the wedding for a wedding I couldn't afford that I could not possibly provide. I began to declare in faith, I didn't even talk about what a, bad situation I was in because I thought, what does that do? That just stirs up doubt. I'm going to begin to talk about, oh, I'm just between jobs right now, (laughs) which is true because I knew God was bringing another job to pass, right? You have to be willing to do the crazy things that God does. And then I thought, what are my next steps? What do I do from here? Because nothing changed in three days. And that's when Ezekiel 37 came to my mind. Let me tell you, can just time out, can I just talk to parents in the room? There are times where it's challenging to bring our kids. I get it. Sometimes they don't want to come. Sometimes it can be a real drag. And sometimes you don't feel like it's actually having any impact. I'm sure I was probably a real turd that night I went to church. My parents have had to apologise to the senior pastors of the church more times than I've had nickels in the bank. You know what I mean, right? Like we've had to apologise to visiting speakers because Philip was annoying as a kid. And Philip, I remember one time I drank all the communion juice before communion and they couldn't do communion. They had to run down the street and they did it at the end of the service, right? (laughs) But something stuck in my spirit as a seven-year-old boy sitting under a chair. You take your kids to church, you take your kids to Sunday school, bring your kids to youth, and something will stick in their spirit. You're looking for a breakthrough today, but maybe you're sowing in a breakthrough for tomorrow. Because there was a breakthrough coming in 20 years' time that was sowed that night. I was colouring under the chair. And I read the next part of the Scripture. Then he said to me, Son of man, These bones represented the people of Israel. They're saying, we've become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open up your graves of exile and I will cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back in the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord and I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I've said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. I'll get the keys up. Number five, my last point. Act like the person you are called to be, not the person you think you are. Act like the person you are called to be, not the person you think you are. You should never allow circumstances to dictate your identity. See, I felt like I had failed, even though I didn't cause the job cuts. I felt like I was broke. I felt like I had no options. I felt like my back was against the wall. I did not feel very successful, real talk, right? I felt like I was an embarrassment. Here I'm supposed to be this great provider, this corporate guy marrying a girl, and I was broker than a brass bazooka. You know what I mean? I didn't have two dimes to rub together. And the money that I had was very, very, a couple hundred bucks and it was, it was disappearing very, very fast. But I read this scripture and I grabbed an old ballpoint pen and I grabbed one of the bills that I had no hope of paying and that's what I wrote down. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, act like the person you're called to be, not the person that you think you are. I wrote that down and I would stare in the mirror and I would prophesy over myself. You are highly favoured. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are a son of the Almighty God. Your Father rules the universe. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Your situation is changing. I said to God, what am I supposed to do? He said, this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to wear your suit and your tie and your shirt. And I want you to go around with a whole bunch of resumes and go from business to business to business. I want you to go to every single business in town. So I did that. And I got no after no after no after no. So after a couple days of doing that, I went to the next town and I got no after no after no after no. Let me tell you, 
getting those emails telling you that we'll keep your job on file and you know you weren't successful is hard. Hearing it face to face is harder. <laughs> I went to all kinds of businesses. And it's funny because I felt like the Lord told me to wear a suit, but there were certain places I went to that if I had a job interview there, I would never wear a suit. If you go to a farm co-op rocking up in a suit, just makes you look like you don't understand the place that you're in, right? You go to a greasy mechanics workshop and you rock up in a suit saying, I'm, I'm going to be a great help to your business. Looks like you don't know anything about their business, but I kept doing it anyway. A couple weeks had passed. I'd canvassed the entire area. I'd canvassed all the towns in that area. And all that I had heard was no, 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 and no. I was down on my last few dollars in my bank account. Couldn't afford to fill up my car. So I hopped on a bus, went to a town 20 minutes away. No, 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 no. 4.30 in the afternoon, sun's beginning to set. I was so hot because I'd been walking around all day. I had blisters on my feet because I'm wearing dress shoes. I'm wiping the sweat. Got my hanky and dab in my face. I go in. Must have been near the end of the day. Receptionist wasn't there. The guy comes out. He says, how can I help you? And I, by this point, had perfected my pitch, right? <laughs> Given it so many times. So I gave him my pitch, gave him my resume. He said, well, I can see here from your resume, you don't have any legal training. I said, I'm a quick learner. <laughs> he said, I, I'm sure you are, but you know, to, to be a lawyer, you do need to have some training. I said, what about the reception? You don't have anyone in reception. I could have been here. I could have, I could have answered me. He said, yep, she asked to leave a little bit early just as a one-off and I let her go for the day. I said, well, if there's, if there's anything else, do you need someone to, like, I can clean. I'm, I'm, I clean a mean toilet. It's amazing, right? You know, see on the thing that says I'm clean toilets at church. I'm very, very good at that. He smiled and he said, thanks anyway. I really appreciate Best of luck. So I left. Delivered the last couple of resumes. Hopped on the last bus out of town. Next morning, I woke up to my phone ringing. It was the lawyer. I said, you've changed your mind. You need a new lawyer. He laughs, he goes, no. I said, okay. Thought maybe he was calling up for a chat. Bit lonely, apparently. <laughs> Giving my resume to the wrong bloke. Anyway, so he calls me up. He says, I might have something for you. I said, really? He goes, but not with me. I said, what are you talking about? He says, you don't know my daughter, do you? And I thought, no. It's <laughs> a weird question to ask. He said, well, she's a HR manager of a massive global corporation. She's in London at the moment for a big meeting. And they've been trying to get a great young salesperson on their team that's hungry and got some ambition and got some drive because they're trying to shift the culture of their sales department. All the guys they promote internally are people that feel like the company owes it to them. So there's not a lot of extra drive because they feel like it's a reward for all their hard work. Or, you know, they're guys that like, They've taken a gamble on them and there's, they don't feel a sense of risk because they've been with the company so long. I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to fire me, right? So they thought, well, let's hire someone that's raw, hire someone that's got a chip on their shoulder, something to prove, right? But the thing is, everybody presents well in an interview, but when you actually put them on the floor and we actually send them out to go and make some calls, nothing actually happens. So I'm chatting to her on the phone while she's in London. She says to me, the CEO's breathing down our neck. I've got to solve this problem. He said, yeah, what you need is you need a guy that's hungry like a lion, that can take rejection after rejection after rejection and keep showing up. You need somebody with something to prove. He said, actually, there was this weird guy. I, he told me this on the phone. I'm like, I'm both inflated and deflated in the same phone call. There's this weird guy I spoke to yesterday. He didn't notice this, but I could actually see him. He was wiping the sweat off his brow. I could tell by how well rehearsed his pitch was. He'd been doing this for days, if not weeks. The fact that he knocked on my door says that he was pretty desperate, which means he hadn't had a yes, but he kept hustling. He kept trying. That's the kind of guy you need. You need someone like that. Not actually, he said, I wasn't actually thinking of even pitching you. I was just using you as an example. She said, do you still have his resume? He said, I think so. I'm not sure. I might have thrown it out. I think so. She said, can you go get it for me? So she's in a black cab on the way to London Airport to fly back to Australia. He goes, I drove into work, which is why I'm calling you so early. I scanned and emailed her a copy. 
she looked at it at the airport before she boarded the plane. And she said, he sounds like the guy we need. So he goes, so I'm calling you because she can't. She's on a plane right now. I want to know if you're available next Monday morning at 9am for an interview. I said, I am available. I went to the interview. I did my best pitch right at the end. I said, you know what? You're probably thinking I don't have the experience for this role. So I'll train for free. You don't need to pay me. I just want to show you what I got. I'm confident that if you give me an opportunity, you won't be disappointed. I said, look, I am getting married in like six weeks. I had a honeymoon plan, but she said, where are you going? I said, Thailand. I hadn't booked anything. I was broke, right? (laughs) Going to Thailand. Speak in faith. She said, okay. I said, but obviously I'm happy to take, you know, leave without pay or, you know, negotiate that, whatever. She said, all right. So we had the interview. I left. She called me back a couple hours later. She said, you're still in the city. I said, I am. She said, I got good news and bad news. I said, well, all right. She goes, the bad news is we're rejecting your offer to come and train for free. We're, we're, you know, you've got a cheap suit, got cheap shoes. I was broke, right? Um, I bought the suit at an op shop. I thought it looked pretty good. Apparently not. Um, I said, okay. She begins to tell me all the things I did wrong in the interview. I'm like, okay. I said, what's the good news? I'm like, you know, what am I going to get? Like a free Macca's voucher or something out of this? Like, you know, what's the good news? She said, well, the good news is we'd like to offer you a job. We would like to pay to train you. We want to pay you better than you've been paid in the past so that you can buy a nice suit and nice shoes because you're going to represent us well. We talked about your honeymoon and we thought you deserve a sign-on bonus so you don't have to worry about leave. You can go straight on your honeymoon, even though it will only be six weeks into your job and you go and take as much time as you've got planned for your honeymoon so you come back and know that you're going to get paid and you get leave loading, which means you'll actually get a little bit of extra spending money while you're on your honeymoon. We want to know, can you start on Monday? Now, all praise and glory to God, but it wouldn't have happened if I walked around like I was defeated. It wouldn't have happened if I didn't feel like wearing a suit and just give in to what I felt like. Because how many know feelings can be misleading? It wouldn't have happened if I wasn't willing to put myself out there and do the crazy things that God was asking me to do. Some people here, God wants to breathe life into your valley, but you gotta be willing to do some crazy things. Some people here, you gotta be willing to shift how you see yourself. Don't act like the way you feel. Act like the person that God's calling to be. You say, well, you don't know anything about my story. It's true, I don't. But here's what I do know. I know what the Word of God says. You are an overcomer. I know what the Word of God says. You're the head and not the tail. I know what the Word of God says. You're above and not beneath. I know what the Word of God says. You're more than a conqueror through Him who first loved Him. I know what the Word of God says. It says that nothing can stand against you because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. I know what the Word of God says. It says that the Holy Spirit is in you. He's the driving force of all creation. So there is not a problem that He can't create His way out of. I know what the Word of God says. You say, well, I don't know what to do. That's okay. The Word of God says that He has all wisdom and He gives it freely without reproach. I know what the Word of God says. He says, that's who He's calling you to be. And so maybe you don't feel like it today because maybe you were in that valley and you've taken a few hits. I get it. Believe me, I get it. But you can't act the way you feel. You've got to act the way you're called to be. Act like the person you're called to be. As we land the plane, I don't know how you came in this morning. You might be, might be cruising on cloud nine. You might have never had a valley of dry bones, which would probably make you pretty young. Because I think if we're real, if anyone that's lived a while has got a couple valleys, a couple areas of defeat, a couple things where it's like God just hasn't brought breakthrough yet. You just need to know something. God has not walked away in those places. He's just waiting. He's just waiting. I've been sick a long time. I get it, but he hasn't walked away. He's just waiting. He's just waiting. He's just waiting. Why is he waiting? He's not waiting for the devil. The devil is not your problem in that area. He's not waiting for himself because he ain't schizophrenic. He's waiting for you to see what he sees in that situation. So realign your vision with Christ so that you are looking at the same thing. And when you do, don't be surprised if He takes you to some uncomfortable places. You've got to stick close to God and that's where safety is. But safety and comfort don't always go hand in hand. So don't be surprised when you feel a little bit uncomfortable at times. That might still be where God wants you to be. That might be His exact perfect will for your life in that moment. 
And as you are in those uncomfortable places to make it more uncomfortable, God will often ask you to do something crazy. Don't shy away from that. Don't step back from that. Be willing to lean into that. Obviously, we need to use wisdom, but we need to lean into that. We are living in a crazy world. So don't be surprised when there are some crazy solutions to our crazy world. But in order for you to do that properly, you gotta act like the person you're called to be, not the person you think you are. I need everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads. No one looking around. That's not because it makes you any more spiritual. God can see with your eyes open or closed. He's, he's present, right? It's just to give you some privacy because it's not about the person next to you. It's not even about me. It's about you and God. I want to pray for a couple groups of people today and then we'll close the service. First group of people I want to pray for are people who need Jesus as Lord, which means He's in charge, so you will do the crazy things He's asking you to do, and Saviour, which means He forgives you for everything you've ever done. I'm not asking what you filled out on the census form. I'm not asking what your religious status is on Facebook. I'm not asking what you tell your mum or your dad or your children when they, when they talk to you about faith. I'm asking you, is Jesus Christ Lord, therefore in charge and Saviour, and therefore has forgiven you for everything you've ever done? And if He's not, I wanna help you fix that. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything weird. You don't have to come up the front and do a cartwheel or anything. You stay there, I'll stay here. But I do wanna pray for you. And at the end of that prayer, you will be a Christian. Everything I preach today will be true for you and true for your life. So while nobody is looking around and everybody has got their eyes closed to this privacy, if, if that's you and you say, Phil, I need you to pray for me, either for the first time or maybe it's the hundredth time. You've prayed this prayer before, but if you're honest, you've kind of taken back the Lordship. You've taken back the reins. While no one's looking around, while everyone's got their eyes closed, if that's you and you need Jesus, Jesus, can I just get you to slip up your hand so I know who I'm praying for? Once I see it, you can put it back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Awesome. Thank you. This is what we're going to do. We're going to pray a prayer. It's a repeat after me prayer. So you know that you're not going to get it wrong because you just got to repeat after me. And so you don't feel out of it on your own because we are a family. We are a church. I'm going to get every single Christian to pray with us. And hey, we're in a church. There's a lot of Christians, right? So you're not going to be on your own. At the end of that prayer, you will be a Christian. And everything I preached about, like I said before, will be true for your life. Are you ready, church? Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Please be my Saviour. Please be my Lord. Help me to follow you all my days. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, everyone give those people a hand. Best decision you ever, ever could have made. Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.